book of James, the first chapter, verses 5 through 8. Once again, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Your version may read a little different, but regardless, I ask that you read along with, it, with me. Amen. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. An unknown author once wrote this story. There was a wise woman who was traveling in the mountains and she found a precious stone in a stream. The next day she met another traveler who was hungry and the wise woman opened her bag to share her food. The hungry traveler saw the precious stone and asked the woman to give it to him. And she did so without hesitation. The traveler left rejoicing in his good fortune because he knew the stone was worth enough to give him security for a lifetime. But a few days later he came back to return the stone to the wise woman. I've been thinking, he said. I know how valuable the stone is, but I give it back in the hope that you can give me something even more precious. Give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me something more precious. Give me what you have within that enabled you to give me the stone. You see, many times we're like that traveler. Circumstances come, situations come, and we're looking for a way out of our situations. And we're looking to what we could see. We're like that traveler. We, we feel some kind of way, and we just say, if I can just get something that tangible that could deliver me from my circumstance, then I'll be all right. But then we see this traveler, he had a recognition, a change of heart. He said that this, and it was, they said it was a wise woman, that she had something even more precious, something more precious that said, you can have this stone. This wise woman was a traveler as well, and she wasn't looking at the stone to be her source, but there was something greater. And so it is with us, and so it should be with us, the church. You see, now that we have been reconciled back to God and we have been restored, we should realize that our source is no longer in the things of this world, but our source is in him. And like many times we're looking for solution, we're looking for answer, but we see that there's something that God gives us freely 
that could help us endure in our circumstances. And that is godly wisdom. So if I may take for a subject on this afternoon, it's praying for wisdom. Let us pray. Precious and all-wise God, we give your name the praise, the glory, and the honor. And Lord, we just thank you once again. We thank you, precious Lord, for you are living and true. You are the great I am, perfect in all of your ways. And we thank you even now for your word. Lord, you tell us that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we are thankful for your word even now. Lord, my prayer is that I not speak my thoughts or my opinions, my wants or my desires, but let nothing but your holy word be declared on this afternoon. Lord, I pray that I would decrease that you might increase. And we give your name all of the praise, all the glory, and all of the honor. Lord, everything be, that is done, let it be done in decency and in order that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The book of James has been attributed to the Apostle James, who was the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. He writes it to the 12 tribes that were dispersed, most likely the Jewish Christians that were living outside of Jerusalem. If you read the book of Acts, you've seen that many of the Jewish Christians were dispersed because of persecution. You'll find that in around Acts chapter 8, the first couple of verses there. And as the Jewish Christians were spread about, they were living in foreign lands among different cultures. Much of the immediate area outside of Jerusalem was Greco-Roman territories, where multiple religions were practiced. Also in, in Greco-Roman culture was a following of hedonism, or the pursuit of pleasure. Basically, if it feels good or it looks good, do it. You have that freedom. But we see here that James was reminding his readers, living in the midst of these possible trials, living in the midst of struggles, and living in the midst of people who did not believe what they believed, he wrote this practical letter to encourage his readers to conduct themselves in a way that would glorify the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of James, he encourages his audience to not only to maintain their faith, but to live out their lives in a way that puts their faith into action. While this wisdom of this writing was relevant to his readers of that time, it's also wisdom that is relatable to the church today. More often than not, we the church of today, we are often scattered about like the initial audience of James. You see, we live in communities where many of us around us well, many that are around us do not believe what we believe. There are many around us that think about they can do whatever they want to do and it's all good. You see, the themes and beliefs of our popular culture right now are often at odds with what we believe in the word of God. And it's re relevant because we as the church back then also, we deal with trials. We have circumstances, we have sufferings, we have issues that we deal with each and every day. And in the prior verses of the chapter, James deals directly with not only how Christians' faith, Christians faith would be tested, but more importantly, how they should respond to live, uh, how they should live in spite of those challenges. James writes, to count it all joy when facing various trials. 
that could be a head scratcher to some. How in the world can we count it joy when we're going through? How, in the, how, how could it be that we should count it joy when we're hurt, when we're struggling? Because trials, they hurt. Why should I count it all joy? Trials are scary. Yeah. What about it should, it should I count it to be all joyous? Trials seem insurmountable. How can I count it all joy? And if you continue to look at James, the first chapter, he says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know, steadfastness is not a word we use very often in today's uh, vernacular. But other translations, they list steadfastness as endurance, patience, or perseverance. Romans 5, 3 through 4 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. See, this is in direct line with what we see about how, being, how, how steadfastness works in us, as it did in verse 4, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So it's important for us to realize that God works in us through our trials and suffering. He's not out to torture us. It's not a great big setup. Know the God that we serve, he loves us and he cares for us. He's not an uncaring or impersonal God, but he's the exact opposite. And he shows that by, in us going through our adversities, us going through our trials and situations, with God's help, he's building us up. And it's through this building up that we will be lacking nothing. See, that is the important realization for the believer in Christ Jesus. See, the world has conditioned us and taught us that truly the only way we can be complete and without lack is to accumulate things. You're not complete unless you have more money. You're not complete unless you have a fancy car. You're not complete unless you have that great big house. You're not complete unless you have a great big social group or you're not complete unless you have thousands of followers on social media. But rather, God teaches us that through his word that to be complete is not through things or other people, but through the gifts that only he can provide. One thing we need, especially in our trials, is wisdom. Now, when we think about wisdom, the question that is often pondered is what is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Knowledge is defined as information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Wisdom, on the other hand, is defined as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. See, knowledge is just gathering information, but wisdom will help us apply rightly that information. And so then that brings us to Verse 5, where he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives, so gener- who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So when we come to this verse, we see that conditional statement. If any of you lack wisdom. Now, this seems like a strange statement, right? I mean, in this day and time, who is without wisdom? But in thinking on this statement and aligning it with the building up that James referenced in the previous verses, it should cause one to think. You see, there is worldly wisdom, wisdom we gain through life experiences, 
that help us please ourselves. Sometimes we call it being street smart or street savvy. But then there's godly wisdom, insight that comes from God to help us live holy and honor him. The scripture gives us a few thoughts on worldly wisdom. James 3, 13 through 16 says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. First Corinthians 3 and 19 also says, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. But godly wisdom is referred to in James 3 and 17 as pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Proverbs 9 and 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So if this is the kind of wisdom we need, then we are all in need of that type of wisdom. Especially when we realize that when we were in the world, our heart was conditioned by the wisdom of the world. And if the wisdom is folly, according to 1 Corinthians 3 and 19, then that wisdom will not last us, it will not keep us, it will not help sustain us through our trials, circumstances, and situations. You see, it's especially, when we think about it, when we're faced with trials and difficulties and hard times, it's real easy for us to go into our old bag of tricks, right? We can, uh, we can think back and say, well, I can, what did I do when this happened to me before? And how did, I get back, how did I get out of this situation back in the day? But James chapter 3 tells us that this type of wisdom will lead to nothing good. So we need God's wisdom. And James builds on that by telling us how we can receive that type of wisdom. He says, simple and plain, let him ask God. Pray and ask God for it. God bless those who God places in our lives to impart counsel and offer their words of insight. But here James is admonishing the church for the wisdom that you need to face your trials and circumstances. You need to go directly to God. The scripture that Natasha read, uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 to 10, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart. See, this is important to us because it's teaching us to rely on God personally, to trust in the Holy Spirit that he will lead us and guide us into all truth. It's conditioning us for when we go to prayer that what we should also be asking God for. You see, it's real easy for us to ask for things. It's real easy for us to ask for things. But God is telling us that there are some things that only he can provide that we need to build us up. And one of those things is wisdom. And it's not just for this moment in time, but he is building us up so that we can endure until we see him once again face to face. Second Corinthians 4, 16 and 18 says, so we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, in other words, we think we know what we need, but truly God knows what we need. And what we need is wisdom from him. You see, we've been talking and hearing about the past few weeks. We serve a holy God, the holy God, this sovereign God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God. And if he has wisdom that will help us live holy and blameless before him, and all we need to do is ask him for it, then that's what we should do. Proverbs 4 and 7 says the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. The type of wisdom that we need He's the one and only source, and we can ask him for it. And then when you continue on, he says that he gives generously to all without reproach. Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and joy. God gives generously. He gives freely. Because that's who God is. He's a good God who gives good gifts and provides us what we need to stand in times of adversity. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You see, he's Jehovah Jireh. He's the God that provides. He gives his people what they need. And once again, because he is omniscient, because he is sovereign, he knows what we need more than we know. He knows our beginning, he knows our end, and he knows our in-between. So, so, so we can go to him and trust him in providing us with what we need. Jesus encouraged his disciples in Matthew 7 and 7. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then a little further down in verses 9 through 11, he says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts, give good things to those who ask him? You see, he is a generous giver. Because of his unconditional love, he gives without condition. So many of us are used to receiving gifts, right? But oftentimes, strings are attached. I'll give this to you, but you owe me. And then I'll keep it in my back pocket. Because when I call and, and, and need a favor, you had better answer because I gave you this great gift. But you see, the God that we serve, he's not like that. We see all through his word that our father gives. He's the giver of life. He gives love. He gives joy. He gives strength. He gives peace. He gives hope. And yes, he gives wisdom. It's who God is, and he gives generously to all. He has no respect of person, and he's not a God of favoritism. If you need wisdom of God, he will freely give it to you without reproach. He's not going to chastise you because you asked for it. See, we would expect that from the world. 
We probably have people like that in our lives who we hate to ask for help because it comes with chastisement. We get talked down to. It's a part of the condition that I referenced that uh, I'll give, but you have to take these lumps along with it too. But thank God our Father is not like that. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to depend on him. He wants us to see him and recognize his love for us. So he freely gives us what we are lacking in our despair, and that's his wisdom. And then he tells us in verse 6 how we should ask. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. You see, James continues to build by telling us how to ask for wisdom. He says to ask in faith without doubt. Jesus told us something similar regarding asking with faith in our prayers in Mark eleven twenty four. 24. He says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's asking in faith. You see, the importance of that is because our entire conversion, our salvation is based upon having saving faith. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So now for those who are in Christ Jesus, your faith doesn't stop. But even now more so, walking in faith is a part of our DNA. Habakkuk 2 and 4 reminded us that the righteous shall live by faith. And Hebrew 11 and 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We have faith to believe that God will save us from sin. We have faith that he will save us from eternal damnation. And it doesn't automatically switch now that we should live by sight. But rather that right now, even during this in-between moment in our lives, when we're living from new life to glory, we'll continue to abide by his word and trusting in him through faith. And that takes us back to that full circle moment in James 1, 2 and 3. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We're saved by faith. We live by faith. Our faith is tested, but we can ask God for wisdom and faith, and he will give us that wisdom because it's all part of the building up process that he wants to make us complete and mature in him. So then he goes down a little further. And he says that for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So for the one that doubts, he says it's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And that's not who we're supposed to be. Ephesians 4 and 13, 14 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, when we doubt and are tossed, as Jane describes, Paul reminds us that we are susceptible, susceptible to false doctrine, human cunning, and craftiness by deceit. In other words, we're more like our prior selves than our new selves in Christ Jesus. We depend on our own wisdom and our own strength instead of depending on God. We're depending on the things that we can see and not on the things that God provides, those things that are unseen. So that's telling us that more so that we are not to be like that old self, but we're to be who we are, new creations in Christ Jesus. You see, for that person that is tossed to and fro, the scripture says that he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, for that person, God is not enough. That person runs to whoever or whatever will satisfy their needs. 1 Kings 18.21 says, Elijah said to the people, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. For that person, it is not about living for God, but rather living for self. That person says, maybe I'll trust in God for salvation for when I die, but I can't trust and depend on him in my everyday life. For that person, there's hope in tangible things. Don't give me wisdom. Give me that tangible thing that I need for this situation right now. But we saw it early in 2 Corinthians 2, 4 and 18. It says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and the things that are unseen are eternal. James says it like this in, four, in uh, chapter 4 and 8. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, when you think and read these scriptures and you see the need for wisdom and how we are to get wisdom, when you really think and ponder on it, it's so tied into the gospel message, isn't it? There's so many people out there who know about God. There's people out there who know the Bible front and back, backwards and forwards. There's even people out there who can tell you about Christ Jesus. They can give you the whole historical lesson on who he, who he was and his whole genealogical lineage. They can tell you about all the different theological systems. They can tell you about all the different doctrines that are in Christianity. They've studied it. They went to school. They've learned it. But see, as we said at the beginning, there's a difference in knowing, and there's a difference between knowing and there's a difference between discerning and applying that knowledge. And when you have that revelation and believe in saving faith that Jesus is Lord and have the fear of the Lord, then that is the beginning of wisdom because Jesus is wisdom and in him is the wisdom that we need. First Corinthians 1 and 18 says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And then skip down to verse 24, it says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You see, it took God's wisdom for us to even receive the gospel message. It took God's wisdom for us to even have the possibility of receiving salvation. You see, here we were 
doomed to sin, doomed to, to, to the wrath of God, doomed to his anger, doomed to his wrath, doomed to destruction. But God in his wisdom saw that we needed something that we could not provide ourselves. We tried to live in our own wisdom. We tried to save ourselves. We tried to all, each and every day to do what's right. But in God's wisdom, he said we truly need something that we cannot provide ourselves. So he sent his one and only son, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross or for our sins so that we can be reconciled back to the Father, so that we can be, that we can be saved from our sins. And it was in God's wisdom that he, rose, that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead with all power so that we likewise can have the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because he is, Jesus Christ, is the wisdom that we need. Everything that we stand in need of is in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2 and 3 says, or 2 through 3 says, that through that, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That doesn't mean he's hiding it from us. But that means it's in the one who believes in him. And all we need to do is trust and believe in him and saving faith. And that he will grant us the wisdom that we need in these days and times. You see, many of us right now are going through trial circumstances and situations. And we're looking for solutions. We're looking for answers. We're looking for tangible things to get us out of those circumstances. But we see in, this, in, in the word of God that we should count it all joy when we're going through those circumstances and situations. Because it's through the testing of our faith that he is building us up. So sometimes the answer is not intangible things. Sometimes the solution is not even giving us the answer. But sometimes the solution is asking God for wisdom so that we can navigate those potholes. So that we can, so that we can navigate those, around those circumstances and situations. And that we can continue to trust and rely on him because he is the one that is truly the source of all that we stand in need of. You see, so many times we throw away wisdom like it's nothing. But think about this. Wisdom is a gift of God. It's a gift from God. And if he says that he is providing something, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the, the omniscient, the, 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 the sovereign God, if he says that we need this, then it's something that we should all be running to grab a hold of. Not in things not in material uh, items, not even running to other people, but running to him because he is the source of all that we stand in need of. So then what does that mean for us even right now? We're going through circumstances, we're going through trials, we're going through situations, and we're praying, God, deliver me. God, give me this. God, answer this. The one thing, I, and I, I, I'm not saying don't pray those prayers, but one thing I am reminding you that in your, all of your praying, Ask God for wisdom. Because sometimes quick and easy deliverance isn't the answer. How many of us have gone through the same thing time and time and time and time and time again? And it doesn't seem like, it, it, it seems like as soon as we get out, we're right back in. Maybe we need to ask God for wisdom. How many of us had the resources that we thought we needed, and then as soon as those resources ran out, we were back in the same situation again? Maybe we needed to ask God for wisdom.
So if I had one application for this afternoon, as you continue to pray and ask God for help, which you should continue to do, always remember to ask for wisdom because he said he'll give it freely. Wisdom is precious because it's his wisdom that saved us right now. And if his wisdom was good enough to save us, it's good enough to keep us through our salvation. That'll be hard pray. Precious and all wise God, we give the praise, the glory, and the honor. Lord, we thank you once again for your word. And even now, Lord, we're so grateful that you have bestowed on us the honor that we could go to you in prayer and ask for wisdom. Lord, we're going through, many of us are going through trials right now. We don't know what to do. Lord, we need your wisdom. Lord, some of us are, are, are wondering what tomorrow looks like. Lord, we need your wisdom. Lord, many of us are going through things right now that we haven't even confessed to one another. Lord, we need your wisdom. And Lord, as, as you have called us to church, and we know that we're not above being persecuted for our faith. Lord, we don't know how to respond in our persecution. Lord, we need your wisdom. So in all things, Lord, we pray that we could be that church that can truly rely on you. That as we relied on you in saving faith to save us from our sin, that we will truly rely on you to keep us in our salvation. Lord, as we navigate around sinful desires to look to you who is the author and finisher of our faith. So we pray, precious Lord, that in, even in this, Lord, that we will look to you to gain the wisdom that we need. We give him all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.